As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. You're done with your Oreo. Yeah. <laughs> done with my Oreo. Okay, good. Um, and do we really know what happened? The brother did. The brother. That's what I thought, too. I mean, that seems like kind of obvious. Hey, do you want to talk about death? Yeah, I mean, I'm murdery, 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 Welcome to Mystery Murdery Thingy. The podcast where we talk about mysteries. And murderies. And thingies. Thingies. Wow. What kind of thingies? Like ancient civilizations and weird sounds. (laughs) Not what you were thinking of, (laughs) which was dirty. (laughs) This is like actually kind of a noisy chair. Okay, I'll stop moving. Okay. Don't move <laughs> at all. Um, you said you wanted to go first, so I'll ask you, is it a mystery? Is it a murdery? Or is it a thingy? Um, 
it's a murdery. It's all well. It's a. I feel like you uh, want to say it's thingy. all three every week. It's, <laughs> it's it's a thingy. Okay. I mean, all of them are mysteries. Like that's True. like the the core concept. That's the criteria. The the core criterion. But I I think this is a thingy. The sine qua non, if you will. I'm excited to talk about it because at first I was like, okay, like this is kind of cool. But I wasn't like, holy shit, this is so cool. And then yeah. I started doing research and I was like, holy shit, this is so cool. Nice. So I'm going to talk about the bog bodies. Nice. So it's very, it's a very like kind of creepy thing. I think they're pretty. Does that sound weird? No. They have like a certain beauty to them right. because they're preserved so perfectly. So basically what the bog bodies are, they are human corpses found in bogs and most of them have been found um they're found in peat bogs right. and i learned i was like what is peat peat is used for fuel and p-e-a-t and right? some other stuff i have it in here later okay yes p-e-a-t mm-hmm. peat bogs and they're mostly found in um, Northern Europe. So like Denmark, Germany, England, Ireland, and the Netherlands are like some hot spots for the bog bodies. So most of them were found or the majority there's, there's hundreds of them. Mm. Um, but the majority have been found, um, when using radiocarbon dating, um, were put there during the Iron Age, around 500 BC to the year 100. So, if you don't know how time works, it counts backwards. It's confusing. It, sure. it's, gen- it's like a genuinely sure. confusing thing. Before Common Era, you're counting uh, up as you go back. Yes. After Common Era, you're counting up as you go forward. Yes. Yeah. It's So, around 600-year period. So... Like I said, they're extremely well preserved. Not not all of them, but the ones, the specific ones I'm going to talk about are um, very well preserved. There are like the more, uh, the better preserved ones with flesh. And then there's ones where the bones are really well um, preserved. And there are, uh, it's science, science things have to do with how that works. And I'll mm. talk about that. Um, briefly as well as I can understand it right so when I say by well-preserved I mean the organs are intact Um, sometimes sometimes the stomach contents can be found Um, hair seen skin is there nails are there so we know a lot we can find out a lot about them Um, so each of them has kind of like a story and gives us a personal insight into history. So these were these were like four to five thousand. These are like thousands of year old, you know, bodies, and it's like kind of crazy to like get an inside look at how people lived back then mm-hmm. and why they were killed and why they were put in a bog. Right. So those are the the kind of central questions here. Um, like I said, they're found to mostly date back to the Iron Age period. And there are some um, ones that are more studied than others, such as the Tulland Man, the Harold Skjur. How did I say that? Harold Skjur. Woman. 
Grawbal Man, Windaby Girl, Lindau Man, Klonikavan Man, and Old Krogan Man. I'm gonna talk about a couple of those in details. Um, but anyway, there, they found that there wasn't, um, it wasn't like one type of person found. It was all different types of people. It was rich people, poor people, adults have been found, children have been found. Mm. It's all, it, there's no discrimination when it comes to that. Cause I was like, maybe it's um, like a suicide spot or like um, they just throw outcasts in there. But there's like, they have found mm. people of high status in there. Which is what I would have, what I actually assumed was that it was for people of high status, that it was like a, a way of like preserving the most honored, you know, kind of members of the society. Yeah. But it seems like it's not that either. It's it's not anything really. Yeah. So a lot of them are found naked or barely clothed. And if they are found clothed, the clothing is still intact, which is kind of crazy. Yeah. So what's curious about the bog bodies, besides the fact that they're showing up, and they're so well preserved, is that lots of them have signs of being violently killed. Like, serious violence. Mm. Um, stabbed, bludgeoned, hanged, strangled. Um, a lot of them were deemed to be human sacrifices. This could have been a tomb, right. a burial place. Um, it was also thought to be a place to execute criminals. Um, and so, really, there's all kinds of possibilities. And the ones I'm going to talk about have, a lot of them were, the main one I'm going to talk about were ritual um, sacrifices. And that's the Tulland Man. The Tulland Man is the one who has been the most studied. He's the one that's been looked at the closest and for the most years. And he's... Um, among the most of the well-preserved bog bodies. So here's how this works. Here's the science. Teach so, us. I know, right? Professor. I, I hate chemistry. Yeah, I, I hate didn't, it so I didn't much. really like chemistry either. <laughs> I got a C minus in both my chemistry classes in high school. I got, an, I got an A. I still didn't like it. <laughs> oh, look at me. I'm Mario. I got an A. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. Nerd. Okay. Ryu, um, Ryu, nerd alert, nerd alert. <laughs> I will try my best. Okay. So they're preserved so well, basically because of the chemistry of the surrounding area. And the, the peat bogs themselves have unusual conditions. Conditions meaning there is a combination of uh, highly acidic water, low temperatures, and lack of oxygen is that that's what preserves them as well as severely tans their skin. And that's why they're so dark. Mm, okay. More of a bronze um, color. So it's almost a natural tanning process. Yes, except pretty severe. Yeah. Um, their leather, like leather, leather straps have been found. Leather's preserved. Like I said, clothing, hair is found. Skin is still intact, etc. It's It's crazy. So... The acid in the water, called humic acid, or more simply bog acid, conserves, conserves the body similar to how fruits are pickled, mm. right? So this environment, um, no oxygen, lots of acid, basically halts the organism's ability to start the decomposition progress. So it stops bacteria from growing. It stops um, things oh, from decaying. Okay, that makes sense. 
the uh, combo, the combination um, of these things. So I also learned that once in the normal atmosphere, they decompose really quickly. Mm. So preservation of them have been has been difficult, and you know, over the years, parts of them have been lost and stuff. But um, you can still see them in a lot of museums. So mostly in England, I found. So the re many researchers have discovered that the conservation also required that the those uh those who are responsible the murderers the uh the 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 killers um that they place the body in the bog during the winter or early spring when the water temperature is cold enough to preserve them so um so like the safe zone i think it's the same for food it's like 40 degrees and like 140 degrees and if it was um it needs to be 40 degrees or lower so the bacteria can't grow. Right. That's basically the science. Sure. Stopping bacteria due to the um, composition of the area. Peat bogs. Definitely so, makes sense. Yes. So the Tulland man, let's go back to him. More specifically, he was found in 1950 in the Jutland Peninsula of Denmark. Jutland. What? Jutland. Oh, Jutland. Yeah. Jutland. <laughs> Jutland. The Jutland Peninsula of Denmark. Well, J is always a weird one because it, it can be a H sound, it can be a Y sound, it can be a J sound. So it's like hard to know, you know, depending on what language you're talking Jutland. about. Jutland. Yeah. Um, Jutland, I think. Jutland. Yeah. So he was discovered by um, two brothers and a wife who were digging up peat. And this is a lot how a lot of them were found because people harvest, not harvest, is mm -hmm. that the right word? Harvest yeah. it? It's yeah, because it doesn't require any production. You just take it and then you burn it. Yeah, it's used for gardening and it's used for fuel. And I also read about like something called like peat butter. No, bog butter. Mm, and it was does like, not sound good. It was, I forgot what they said they mostly used it for, but it was like weird because you could like cut a block uh -huh. And like pick it up. Ooh. Isn't that gross? Yeah. Um, so some of them have been found like under that. Right. So when they found him, he was so well preserved that he was um, actually mistaken for a recent murder victim. Wow. They thought, so they called the police. They're like, there's somebody in it. There's somebody here. I mean, right. obviously there's somebody there, but you know. So like I said, he's one of the most well preserved bodies. He was hanged. He was found with a um, a noose made of plated animal hide drawn tight around his neck, and there was more tra uh, trailing down his back. So he was straight up hanged, cut down, put into the bog. He wore a pointed um, skin cap, which was made of sheepskin and wool, and it was fastened securely under his chin by a hide thong and there was a smooth hide belt around his waist so very um uh simple clothing that's what i was thinking yeah kind of popper's garb yes other than these um the body was was naked so his hair was cropped short um and it was almost entirely hidden by the cap there was stubble on his chin, on his upper lip, uh, which suggested that he had not shaved the day of his death. 
Most scientists agree that he was, in fact, a ritual sacrifice because of how he's positioned. See, he's pos- he's positioned in the fetal position there right. with his knees close to his chest. Mm-hmm. Um, and his eyes and mouth are have been have been closed, deadly closed. So perhaps he was an offer to the god or to a god or gods to ensure a plentiful harvest or an exchange for peat, more peat. Um, because the burial custom of the day in Denmark was cremation, that's what how they would get rid of their bodies. It that's also why they think um, he was left whole to provide a deity with a fully functional servant in the mm. afterlife or to carry some kind of um, special message or request to this other world. Yeah, it's interesting to think about whether, you know, because there there are certain cultures in which being sacrificed was, like, a really high honor. Yes. And people would would seek out that position and, and like, would would want to be the one who was... I want... it, It makes you... I mean, it makes you think about what this person's mindset was when they went to this death right yes. was was it violent was it quiescent you know it, it's it it creates a whole nother sort of mystery around it right exactly that's why i think this kind of has a whole um layer of, uh-huh. of mysteries like why were they put there right um, what were they doing um is was it a sacrifice was it to gods was it like executing people it could have been all types of things and because they'd been found to span thousands and thousands of years it could be anything and they've been in um different parts of the north northern europe so it's probably more than one thing it's definitely more than one thing yeah depending on where it was found how it was preserved um the 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 marks and stuff that was found well that's kind of what i was wondering about too because you said that they, you know, some of them were clearly murdered, right? Yes. Killed, like yes. like Tolan men. But from from what you said or your research, did you find that any was like that the, the body had been like stabbed yes. or okay? So there are yes. ones. So that's what I was wondering because the it it I, I guess in my head I was thinking oh maybe if they were all you know sort of killed in a way that fully preserved their body that would further suggest this idea of like moving on into the afterlife and like well preserving the body intact to do that but maybe that's not the case for those i'm going to talk about some more i'm talking about old krogan man okay go ahead and he is a lot a lot of the main ones that i was looking at have some pretty insane deaths including Uh this one Uh so he was found a little bit more recently in june of 2003 he was he was found in ireland Mm -hmm. um versus denmark uh which where tullin man was found old krogan man was found in ireland and a lot of them have been named after where they were found um so he was also um preserved and was found to be from originating from the iron age again he died an extremely gruesome death and he was um in his he was found to be in his early to mid 20s so he was he was a young adult Mm -hmm. um they also found that it was a ritualistic type killing and it was it was straight up overkill so he had a defensive wound on his upper left arm where he may have tried to protect himself he'd been bound by a hazel branch threaded through holes in his upper arms he was stabbed in the chest he was struck in the neck he was decapitated and cut in half 
And his torso was only found. They only have his torso. Wow. Yeah. So that's pretty nasty. Um, he, so they, they believe that he was, this one, this one's interesting. So he had unworn hands, manicured fingernails. There's actually a really cool picture of like his hand uh -huh. that I, I will post. I'll actually post pictures this time because it's a long story. We'll talk about it later. But he had unworn, <laughs> he had unworn hands, manicured fingernails, and stomach contents of wheat and buttermilk, which suggests that he was of high status. Mm -hmm. um, what was also found was his nipples were mutilated. Oh. And they found another body um, where it was the, the same thing. Mm -hmm. So um, they speculate that he was a king or some kind of um, maybe a priest who failed and he failed his people or he had committed some kind of crime. Right. So that's why he was killed so violently. He he probably let people down and was of high status. So right. it was probably a very public type of death. Mm. But it definitely seems like a crime of passion yes. in this instance, yes. for sure. So I'm going to talk about one of the children that was found. They call him the Kehausen boy. Um, and a lot of these I found different amounts of information um, some are more detailed than others. So he was discovered in 1922 and estimated to be about seven to eight years old. Um, so he died from several, several stabbings in the throat. So he had stab wounds in his throat. There was also a cut on his arm showing self-defense and his hands and feet were bound with a calfskin cape. X-rays revealed that the Kehausen boy suffered from an infected socket at the top of his femur which would have made it difficult to walk. Mm. So he was disabled. He was wow. he was lame, and he was probably blamed for it. Right. Um, and you know how discriminat disc discriminatory people have been throughout the years on the on the handicapped, the disabled. They don't understand. Right. It's possible he had an accident or he was born that way. He was a kid, right. so it's more likely that he was born that way. And during the Iron Age. Um, it's popular. It's a popular belief that those who are disabled have like some kind of special power and they're evil, and so that's he also could have been killed for that reason. Right. Um, so yeah, he was lame. It would have been difficult to walk without some kind of assistance. He also has Harris lines on his left tibia, suggesting growth disorders from malnutrition or disease. And I also found a lot of them. Malnutrition was a commonality between them. Um, so he was, yeah, so he was most likely shamed and killed mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. put into the bog. Yeah. So that's very different from the old Krogan man in Ireland who was this high class, possibly a king or a priest or something. Still violently killed, but um, much more taken care of. And it really makes you wonder if they were preserved intentionally or if this yeah. was simply an, an accident where they just found the most, you know, expedient means to get rid of the body. Yeah. And it ended up that it was in this place where it got preserved. It could be all those things. Yeah. So there's a lot of more. There's a lot more of them. I'll talk about a couple more. Um, Definitely. In, um, le in less detail because these were the ones with less detail. So the Gra Ball Man... 
I think that's how you say it. He was found in 1952. An x-ray x-ray shows that his throat was slit from ear to ear. Mm. He had a fractured skull. But um, it was later found, it was originally thought that he had, that was blunt force trauma to the head. But it was later found that the, those injuries happened after death. And it was, his skull was probably fractured due to the pressure of the bog. Oh, okay. And moss growing on top of it after all those years. Sure. So that's probably why it was um, crushed. And some, there are some um, aspects that, are kind of similar to that with other bog bodies like there's damage here damage here and it could have it could be from their death or it could be from being in the bog for so long could have been a um an effect sure so the grawball man yes and then the windaby girl she died from malnutrition or repeated bouts of illness and later she was found to be a boy oh and about um yeah, she was originally thought to be a girl, but was found to be a boy. She was, um, I think, originally found to be a girl because of her short stature. And I didn't write this down, but I remember reading that she was most likely an adulteress. And she also had a violent death. You see she has, um, that maybe looks like leather mm -hmm. strapped around her. She's blindfolded. Right. We're looking at some pictures on uh, the Google box right now. The Google box? Yeah. <laughs> Um, but yeah, this is the only one that we've looked at so far that has been blindfolded, right? Yes. That seems to be significant. Yes, it's weird. Yeah. Um, the Now about the Harald Skjær. Harald Skjær. Woman, thank you. She was found in Denmark a mm -hmm. long time ago, 1835. Okay. So people speculate that her death occurred around 5th century uh, BC. She was between 40 to 50 years old. Um, she was actually clamped to the moss with small staves through her elbows and through her knees. So she was put there alive, presumably? Presumably, yes. Wow. Um, and she was also found to be a ritual sacrifice. There was a groove in the neck um, that could possibly do, be due to a rope for torture or a rope for strangulation. Mm -hmm. um, they don't know. And the Harald Scar woman was also one of those bodies. We've had um, it for a long time, so parts have been have fully decomposed. Sure. And it's definitely harder and harder to study as time goes on. Um, but those are the details that I... I mostly found about her. Yeah. So, last but not least, I'll talk about the Klonikevin man. Klonikevin? Klonikevin. 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 Klonikevin? Any of those, all of them, none of them, I have no idea. It sounds like you're saying Klonipin, but I know that's not what you're saying. Klonikevin. 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 These are people who died, also. Man. Just to... Let's try to give them a little more, well, little more respect for the dead here. Well, they were named after where they were found. True. So it's the I'm mispronouncing the, the area, not not the actual name. You are correct. But you but you're correct as well. Right. So he was found in 2003 as well, and the Klinikaven man is the one who is most similar similar to the old Krogan man. He okay. was of high status. Mm. Um. 
and he was actually found 25 miles away from the old Krogan man, and they both had similar builds, which again leads to believe that they were in the same um, type of social status or um, t time, lived in the same time frame. The torso and up were recovered because he was discovered by like a straight up like Pete Slicer machine. Oh shit! And so he they they like damaged the the torso or the, oh. they like cut him in half. Ooh. I think I think that that's what um I read that he was cut in half. And that's what this it looks like that in the photos too. Yeah, and they could yeah. only recover the torso up. Uh-huh. So his cause of death was blunt force trauma to the head. His skull had been split open and it was most likely due to an axe. Mm. Okay. Um but yeah, like I said, there's all all different types of bog bodies because of um how they're preserved and in different ways and where they are there's a lot of variation and there's a lot of mystery and story that you can put with these bodies um i found the most information about the ones that obviously have been studied the most like the tulland man um and the old krogan man and this was also another one of those things where sometimes um the information was um, con contradicting, but what was mostly consistent was the time they were found, where they were found, and when they were presumed alive. Um, some have different, uh, or some I couldn't find causes of death at all, and sometimes I couldn't find where they were originally found mm -hmm. um, at all. But I, my sources were obviously Wikipedia, the Wikipedia page for Bog Body for the old Krogan Man and Tullin Man, and the Smithsonian Magazine I like a lot. I've used it before a lot. And there was a really, really good article that I suggest everybody read um, by Joshua Levine called um, The Mystery of the Bog Bodies. And it's, it's, it's got a lot of really good information there. It talks about um, the... The main ones, the Grabel Man, the Tullin Man, Harold Scar Woman, Windeby Girl, um, Lindau Man. And he, the reporter talks to, um, um, I forgot, I don't remember her name, but um, an expert who had been studying them. Mm -hmm. And he was, he was like in a museum, mm -hmm. I think. Um, so... The Smithsonian Mag, archaeology.org, article by Jared A. Lobel and Samir S. Patel, and a Nautilus article by Kristen C. French. Cool. So, bog bodies. Bog bodies. Yeah. Naturally mummified. Right. It's the crazy. Yeah, it is. And it. Um, I bet there are a lot more out there yet to be found. Oh, for sure. Yeah. For sure. It, it also makes me think about whether... There might be some people preserved in that way in, like, the Carolinas. Because there's, there's, like, a huge... There's an area of, of North Carolina that's, like, a you know, basically a big peat bog. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, I forget what that area is called, but I wonder if, if they'll ever find people preserved well, there as well. I or did. Or did you, did you see any that weren't? Well, yeah, I actually... Di I came across... Um, some in North America. Uh -huh. uh, yeah, actually, and it straight up says 
North North Carolina. Oh, okay, interesting. So there are some peat bog, North Carolina. Yeah. Because when we I looked at that map earlier, it looked like it was just showing ones in, like you were saying earlier, Northern Europe. Oh yeah, here's that map. But uh, there were also some that were found in the United States as well. I think so. Okay. Yeah, this is me um, doing research right now. Research during the pod. This is we're like... doing research while you're listening. We're doing research now. This is the music I sing when we do the research. Research. It doesn't seem that... <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> like a little jingle while yeah. we like get our shit together. <laughs> the research song. Um, it doesn't seem that there have been bodies found. Okay. But they do talk about them and trekking through them and how massive they are in North America. You know what I was just thinking about too, that window in which the temperatures are low enough that the bodies would be well preserved would yeah. obviously be much shorter in North yes. Carolina than in Northern Europe. Yes. So in the South. Right, because it's, it's the southern United States. So yeah, maybe perhaps that would uh um not allow for the conditions that would allow for the, you know, preservation of the bodies. But anyway, I'm, I'm sure we could speculate a lot more about it. Yes. And they also talk about how they're important for the earth and Pete. how they should be conserved. And right. Don't yeah. fuck it up like we fucked up everything else in the world. Wetlands are important. Straight up ecocide. You're, okay. <laughs> um, I'm going to take a little break before I do mine. Okay. Okay, break over. Okay, Mario Silva. Okay, I am going... Mystery, murdery, or thingy? Murdery. Very, very murdery. Okay, so I am going to talk about the Freeway Phantom Murders. Which is a straight-up cold case. Yes, this is a frigid, freezing cold case, uh, which has never been solved. Um, So... There were six murders of uh, six black girls between the ages of 10 and 18. Oh, baby. Yeah, between uh, April 1971 and September 1972. So all within a 17-month period. And there was actually a 10-month gap between the fifth and the sixth one. So the first five happened pretty rapidly. Like, they were found within weeks of each other. And we'll, we'll get into the specifics. This is also believed to be the first instance of a true serial killer in Washington, D.C. So this was something that the police said they had never seen before. Huh. Well, then, I guess... I mean, it makes sense that it's not solved, number one, because they're the victims. They're black, they're black girls. Right, so this is, you know, an example of the, the so-called... lesser dead. Right, lesser dead phenomenon, um, where the the status of the victims, basically, the, the perceived status of the victims in the eyes of the investigators determines the amount of investigative power and time and energy that's put in, and therefore is, um, you know, directly related to the ability to actually solve the crime itself emphasis on eyes of the investigators right not we don't believe that bullshit yeah no exactly of course and and of course to their families and and to some of the investigators like um the one you know sort of really hero detective in this story is uh, a woman uh named romaine uh, jenkins who has been obsessed with this case 
ever since she started investigating it and has been still constantly. She said that basically she's always thinking about this case ever since she retired 24 years ago. And she keeps 10 big boxes of case files in her house just so that she can kind of single-handedly continue this investigation on her own. And she says she's going to keep doing this, you know, until her heart gets out. She's never going to stop, you know, investigating this crime. Wow. Yeah. But it did, uh, the investigation did officially close for the last time in 2009 when another detective named uh, James Trainum finished up with his investigation with no positive conclusions. Um, but they, they're, uh, in terms of this kind of dichotomy between, you know, the victims who are properly investigated and those that are less than properly investigated, there was another detective who gave an example of a case uh, in the same area, in the D.C. area, where two white girls had gone missing in 1975. Their names were Catherine and Sheila Lyon. And their case was kept open continuously until 2015. Mm. And there was a, a guilty plea obtained in September of 2017. So they they kept working on that one, you know, very consistently and um, actually, you know, got, got their men, so to speak, in uh, 2017. Whereas in this case, as we'll see, the case was was never really properly handled from from the very beginning that you know lack of kind of investigative um rigor and um care you know really was uh was lacking from from the very beginning so the first uh victim's body was found on may 1st of 1971 by a group of children who were playing behind St. Elizabeth's Hospital. Oh. Yeah. And um, the body was found uh, right next to I-295. And, of course, the, the reason why it's called the Freeway Phantom Murders is because all the bodies sure. yeah, were found ne- next to freeways or, in some cases, smaller highways. So when uh, Detective Jenkins, whom we mentioned earlier, and her partner were going to go out and respond to the call that they had just gotten, right, that there was this body found, their supervisor said, no, I need you to go and work on crowd control for a protest that was happening that day, which struck Jenkins as very strange, right? The murder of a child would seem to be a more important matter than, you know, a couple of more officers going to do crowd control. Mm -hmm. And to her, it suggested, again, from the very beginning that the uh, department was not all that interested in investigating these murders. Again, presumably because of who was murdered, right? And that first victim, her name uh, was Carol Spinks. She was a seventh grader, a very, apparently very shy child, who had been abducted uh, six days uh, prior to the body being found. And she was on her way to a 7-Eleven. Her sister had sent her on an errand, even though their mom said she wasn't supposed to leave the house. Um, the mom actually saw uh, Carol uh, like at 7-Eleven and was like reprimanding her and told her that she was going to get a, a, like a switching when she got home. But she never made it home. She um, was presumably abducted on the way back from the 7-Eleven. 
and she had been dead for two to three days when she was found. Um, and she, like we'll see with many of the other victims, had been strangled and sexually assaulted. And there was evidence also of sustained physical abuse um, during that time when she was presumably kept alive. And there were, you know, defensive wounds as well. There were also green synthetic fibers that were found on her clothing. And that's something that's, again, going to recur a few times. It's one of the very few kind of pieces of forensic evidence in this case. And her shoes were missing, so she was her body was found barefoot. The second victim was found 10 weeks later. Her name was Darlenia Johnson. And her body was also found along I-295, just 15 feet from where the first body was found. And this is what why officers believe that the, the killer probably lived in this area. Yeah. Because they were found so close to one another. And then the, the subsequent victims, their bodies were dumped further away from this area. So they think that the killer may have been working in his home area, which is fairly common amongst serial killers and then perhaps got spooked by the idea that the neighbors may have seen him or somebody who knows him may have seen something and therefore expanded his territory out from from that initial uh from that initial area and there were actually two calls that were made to officers on that morning reporting a, a body being found however and this is really galling when the officers went out to respond to that call, they simply drove by, radioed back 10-8, which means nothing to see here. What? They hadn't found anything. They just went about their business for they the just, rest of the day. They didn't get out of the car and look? They did not actually get out of the car and look. Exactly. Uh, clearly, they did not care, which, again, is... Fucking frustrating, right? Like, you're the police. It doesn't matter who it is. A person is dead. You are supposed to go investigate. Again, not all police. I mean, Miss Jenkins, you know, Officer Jenkins, Detective Jenkins, you know, she did care. So I'm not trying to paint all officers in this respect, in this way. But clearly, these officers did not care. And a week went by while the body was still out there. Oh, my God. Yeah. And on July 19th, one of the people who had made one of those original calls returned back to the site, saw that the body was still there, still rotting in the sun of the Washington, D.C. You know, we were talking about bogs earlier. Washington, D.C. is a bog, you know, so you can imagine. And uh, that person angrily called, you know, a Hell friend. Hell yeah, yeah, I'd be pissed. Exactly. A friend of his who it worked in, in the police department, and that's where, you know, finally they went out and, um, you know, started the proper process. And the, the cause of death could not actually be determined because of the state of decomposition of the body. And they think that this was likely because of that those officers, you know, basically their dereliction of duty, that they had left the body, you know, out there for so long. Um, so again, you know, with a, just another example of this case not being properly handled from the very beginning. Nine days after the second victim was found, a third victim was found, Brenda Faye Crockett, and her body was found on Route 50 just outside D.C. city lines. 
so, you know, several miles away from where the first two bodies were found. She was a very, by all accounts, energetic, popular, bubbly 10-year-old who mm-hmm. loved to go to church, loved to mug for the camera, had tons oh. of friends, um, and was kidnapped while walking to a Safeway. And that's, again, kind of a recurring theme in this, that most of the victims seem to have either been going to or coming from some kind of business where they, you know, where they were going to uh, to buy stuff. So, you know, I'm not sure that that's necessarily significant, but it, it, it was something, you know, that kept coming up, for you sure. Know, it seems like classic, ah, I'm kind of hungry, let's go to the corner store and get something to snack on type of walk. Yeah, they they were for different reasons, but but yeah, you, usually it was like to go get a snack or to go, you know, get some stuff that they needed for the house or or whatever, right? Um, Brenda uh, Faye Crockett had also been strangled, also been sexually assaulted, and those same green synthetic fibers or what they they think were the same, right? Were also found on her clothing. And this one is is really strange and and very disturbing. And this is like almost like a fucking horror movie, right? Brenda actually called her house at 9:20 p.m. on the night that she disappeared. And at this point, her family had been frantically searching for her and had already, I believe, called the police to put in a missing person report. And Brenda, when she called, was crying, obviously very upset. Told oh her sister Bertha, who's only seven years old, oh. everyone else was out looking for her, right? That um, Brenda told her sister Bertha that a white man had snatched her and taken her to Virginia. What? And which, you know, again, we're talking about Washington, D.C., so that could be pretty close by. Oh, oh. And said that, um, Brenda said that, or rather the the man, the, the eventual killer, said that he was going to send her home in a taxi. Clearly a subterfuge, like he was never going to send her home in a taxi, right? But um, Brenda called actually again 25 minutes later and spoke to her mom's boyfriend. And um, Br- Brenda asked if, her mother had seen her, which didn't really make sense to the boyfriend because he's like, well, if you're in Virginia, how could your mom have seen you? You know, um, it didn't, it just didn't really make sense. And the mom's boyfriend then asked to speak to the man and Brenda said, well, I'll see you and hung up. And that was the end of the call. Last time they ever heard from her. So, um, Romaine Jenkins, Detective Jenkins theorizes that the killer may have wanted to ensure that the mother did not see Brenda being kidnapped. That's kind of what it sounds like. Yeah, so he may have had some, you know, trepidation or or some sense that he may have been spotted and wanted to, I guess, call and just make sure that that was not the case. Who knows what would have happened if the mom had seen her or if they had told her. Who knows, right? But it's just, like, a very, like, weird, disturbing... um, you know, set of circumstances, obviously. And uh, another weird thing, uh, Brenda was also found uh, barefoot. Her body was found barefoot, but her feet had been recently washed when her body was found. And they think maybe the killer did that to to get rid of evidence, but it's not 
totally clear. And we've seen this before. There have been other serial killers who have killed children and their bodies have... I, I can't remember exactly who it was, but there was one where the nails had actually been clipped. Not not this case, but a different case. And the body had been, like, very well. So who knows if that says something about the killer's relationship to the victim mm-hmm. or... You know, it's a little hard to know. The fourth victim, uh, named uh, Nenomotia Yates, um, if that's how you say that, I'm not sure, uh, disappeared on October 1st, 1971. So we're now, you know, May 1st to October October. 1st, right? So it's been six months, or five months, I suppose, between the finding of the first victim and the fifth, the fourth victim. So you got four victims in five months. So this is like bodies are fucking racking up. And uh, Ninomisha uh, also was on her way back from a Safeway. And her body was actually found by a 16-year-old boy, and it was still warm. <gasps> yeah. So she had been killed and dumped, you know within who knows you know i don't i don't know how long it takes a body to to get cold but i mean probably an hour maybe a couple hours so you know this was like um very you know strange um that yeah and again this is a little bit counter to the mo otherwise because it seems like in other instances he had kept them for a while and then the bodies you know had been found days and days later in this instance, it seemed like everything happened very rapidly for it some reason. It sounds like maybe he's escalating. And that could be as well, yeah. Perhaps in this instance, the killer didn't have, yeah, the patience. Or, you know, they, they lost control in some sense, perhaps. Things started to spin out of control and they just needed to get rid of the body. Um, but like the other victims, Nunamisha had also been strangled, also been sexually assaulted... And those same green synthetic fibers also found in her clothing. So that's, you know, um, two out of the the four so far, or three out of the four so far, where that's been the case. And after the fourth victim was found, the media finally began to take notice and said, like, okay, this seems like there's a serial killer on the loose, right? And they gave uh, the killer that moniker of the Freeway Phantom. That's when that, that started to be used after the fourth victim. And Jenkins, uh, Detective Jenkins, says that the police also started to kind of finally get wise to the fact that there may be a serial killer on the loose, right? These murders may be connected and they need to take, you know, kind of ramp things up a little bit. Um, The fifth victim, named Brenda Woodard, went missing on November 15th, so about six weeks later. Uh, she was 18 years old, and she was coming home from a place called Ben's Chili Bowl. She had been there with a classmate. They were taking, like, a, a night class together. She was 18? So she, she was 18. a little bit older? Right, right. So she was the, the oldest of the victims that ranged from 10 to 18. Mm-hmm. And while the classmate that she went there with usually would drive her home, that evening just so happened his uh, car was in the shop, so they took the bus. Eventually, Brenda got off on her stop. He kept going. Mm. She never made it home. So she was presumably abducted on her way home after getting off of the bus. And her body was actually found by a policeman on patrol at about 5 a.m. on November 16th. 
So it's right the day after, right that next day, that next morning. So again, the the killer this time, like the fourth victim, but unlike the ones previous to that, did not keep her for several days. So again, like you were saying, maybe things are ramping up for for the killer as well, where he doesn't have the ability anymore to keep the bodies. Maybe something changed in his circumstances at home, or like you were saying before, maybe it's just it's it's just become too much and he, he just like has to kill. Maybe perhaps. he needs something. Right. There's something right. there's maybe he's closer to some kind of goal. Yeah. There, there seems to be some kind of escalation going on for sure. And, uh, her body was found, um, just South of route 202 also strangled, also sexually assaulted, but her body had been stabbed four times. <gasps> so again, we're talking about escalation that also would seem to um, reinforce that idea of an escalation occurring. And there were also defensive wounds found on her body, um, particularly. Like, her defensive wounds seemed to be more extensive than the previous victims. And um, this is another very strange kind of horror movie-esque aspect of this one, that a very strange note was found in Brenda's pocket. And it said, quote, this is tantamount to my insensitivity, and that's how it's spelled, to people, especially women. I will admit the others when you catch me if you can. Freeway phantom. That's fucked Close up. quote. Yeah. So clearly, and we've seen this, you know, with the, the Zodiac and many other serial killers, the killer now is taunting the police, is trying to get some kind of a rise or a, an interaction between the investigators. And and maybe at this point, and this could perhaps also explain why these bodies are found more quickly, maybe at this point the killer wants to be found, which is another aspect of serial killer psychology sometimes, where they they want to maybe even unconsciously have their crimes stopped. Like, in some portion of their mind, they understand that what they're doing is wrong and that that they need to stop, but they can't because it's some kind of compulsion or or mental illness. So that's maybe the goal that he was working towards. Perhaps. And I think it's interesting you said even unconsciously. Right, exactly. Um, Because there there could be a real, you know, psychotic break or there could be... You know, just a a, a total um, detachment from reality, but then some portion of the mind that's still, like, vaguely aware of that. It's all very speculative, but, you know, perhaps. And it's theorized that Brenda may have known the killer because that note was actually in her handwriting. So it seemed like the killer had made her, like the, you know, the previous victim who had to call maybe made her write out the note because it was in her handwriting. And they're saying that it also didn't show signs of great distress. Like, the the writing itself was clear. There was proper punctuation, proper spelling, except for that one word, and proper, um, you know, capitalization and everything. So, clearly she was not in that distressed of a mindset when she wrote it out. Although... I mean, from what it says, I don't know how you could take it any other way. So it, it's just very strange. Um, no one really knows what's going on with with that note. And then, like I mentioned at the outset, there was actually 10 months between the fifth and the sixth victims that we know of. 
Um, and again, who knows what was going on with the killer at that point. Yeah. You know, a, a lot of times when serial killers start, they will have a large break between the first and second victims. That's pretty common, you know, because they've kind of satisfied this urge that they had to kill. And it's sort of sated for a time. And usually you see the killings become more rapid as time goes on. But this seems to be sort of a different different way of going. Unless there are other victims that we just don't know about. Well, maybe he... It took um, five people for him to, like, satisfy his urge. It's disgusting. Yeah. That could be, too. Mindset. Right, exactly. So, in September, on rather, September 6th, 1972, the sixth victim, Diane Williams, who was 17 at the time, was found by a trucker along I-295. He had pulled yeah. off. Same and, freeway, yeah. Yeah, the same, exactly the same freeway that the, the first couple of victims had been found on. And um, that is the point at which the connected killings seem to have stopped. So there were no more bodies that were found that matched the M.O. And since the bodies that had been found, the six victims that had been found, some of them had been taken over state lines, the FBI got involved at that point. And uh, Detective Jenkins actually had a lot of praise for the work of the FBI Whereas, you know, she pointed out that the local departments, the multiple local departments that handled these cases, mm. were very sorely lacking, um, including, and again, we've seen this in many, many instances, bad coordination between, you know, yeah. which may, they theorized, also may have been in a reason why the killer started moving into different areas. Because maybe he knew, because it's just kind of a generally known thing, that police departments don't talk to each other very well, don't during coordinate very well. The seventies, yeah. Well, yeah, during the seventies. I mean, it's it's all sort of changed since nine eleven, and now there's like so much of a focus on sharing of information and that sort of thing. But yeah, definitely back then that was not at all the case. So the FBI they followed many many leads. They interviewed hundreds of people. Um, they actually used sodium pentothal on one suspect, so-called truth serum, but that ended up just clearing that person. They didn't, they didn't find the killer that way. Is that stuff real or is it bull? Uh, I think it is real. I'm not totally sure actually, but I think it's mostly real, but I'm not, I, I can't, I would, I couldn't say for sure, but, um, you know, there's, there, I guess there's something to it if they were willing to use it. I'm not sure. But um, they never found sufficient evidence to even arrest anyone. So no, no one's ever been charged with, this, with these crimes, at, ever, at all. But the central su suspect that they landed on was a man named Robert Askins, who was a former mental patient and computer technician. And he was actually a previously convicted murderer. Mm -hmm. He had been convicted of poisoning a sex worker in 1938. Served 20 years, got out in 1958. So he was in the area at the time and, you know, had, had gotten out of prison at that point. That's very extreme. Yeah. Um, and although there was a lot of incriminating evidence that was found on him in, in a couple of searches that they did, 
And there was also some similarities with the word usage that he typically used and the note that was found. Was it the word tantamount? Yeah, the word tantamount. I've, like, heard parts of this before then. Because I, yeah. I, I specifically remember that. And I, I, when I was reading about this, I think I actually had heard about the one where the, they, where the, the daughter called. I think I had heard about that one before. But I didn't know that it was, like, connected to this larger, like, serial killer. But there was just no, you know, even though there was, like I said, that kind of weird kind of incriminating evidence found at his house, including, like, pictures of girls and, like, mm-hmm. a, an essay that had written been written by a young girl. And there were, like, a couple of buttons and a gold earring that were found in his car. So, like, it's there was some weird stuff going on with him. He's like a creep. Mm-hmm. And after this, he actually ended up being convicted of multiple rapes. And spent the rest of his life in prison. So, you know, yes. In not, the end, not, not a good person. He at all. was put away. Oh, not yeah. the guy, but a man right. who looks pretty sketchy. Right. And the, um, so yeah, the, the forensic evidence didn't match him. It just, they, they couldn't tie him to these specific murders. Nothing green. Yeah, but um, the uh, Detective Jenkins did believe that he was capable of the murders, but that he probably didn't commit them. The other main theory is that the killer was connected to the so-called Green Vega gang that was a uh, a gang of youths that drove around in a Chevrolet Vega, a green Chevrolet Vega, kidnapping and sexually assaulting young women in D.C. This was about five years before these crimes. And... Um, there was, you know, it, it, information about them, you know, obviously was known. These people had been, you know, convicted previously. So they um, they spoke with them and the, the the Green Vega gang members did give info about the murders and, like, said that the, the killer was connected to them. But all the, all the information that they gave was in press reports. It was, there was, like, nothing that they said that they couldn't have known just from reading it in the newspapers and there were things that they that the police had withheld from the papers that they did not know including the specifics on that note so it it appears that they didn't actually have anything to do with it so you know like we were talking about before there was a, just a lack of progress at this point the the case just really went cold almost from the outset but that only, you know, spurred uh, Detective Jenkins to, to become more obsessed with the case yeah. as the years went on. And she personally reopened the case in 1987 when, when she went to go work for the U.S. Attorney's Office. And she looked at old investigative materials like the notebooks that the detectives had, t- had, had uh, kept at the time. And she also looked at FBI files. Um, because the, the files from the local departments were mainly lost. Apparently, it was common practice back then for detectives who were working on a case to bring the case files home with them and just keep them, like, store uh, them at home. So that's where I think a lot of these case files went missing over not time. Good. Yeah, not, not, a, not a good practice, I don't think. Um, we, can, we, we, we can see now, right? So she also revisited the crime scenes. She re-interviewed witnesses. Like, she she went back and tried to do, like, all the work from scratch. Um, She also requested the missing person file. um, And another weird coincidence, or a weird coincidence, rather, it was actually delivered by the sister of one of the victims, who was 
working at the police department at that point. Oh. oh. Yeah, so like one one of the victim's sisters was, was the clerk at, oh, who okay. actually brought her the missing person file for her. Oh my gosh. Well, I don't know if it was, I think it was actually for her own sister. Yeah. So again, I'm sure that you know, gave gave Detective Jenkins, if anything, more impetus, right, to to search for what had really happened. And she also learned more about the weird, uh, more weird phone calls, uh, apparently, from the killer to the mother of one of the victims, like, taunting her and saying, like, I killed your daughter and stuff like that. Um, Which, again, we've seen in other uh, serial killer cases where the in various forms, killer will taunt the victim's families. Yeah. yeah. You know, in addition to the police and the media. And uh, Jenkins, uh, Detective Jenkins, wanted to have the DNA testing done because now in the 80s, there was DNA testing. In the 70s, there was no DNA testing. But the evidence that she had access to at that point was just not well-preserved enough to have DNA. They just didn't store it in the proper way. I mean, I guess you could say at at that point in the 70s, they didn't know because there was no DNA testing, but, you know, it, it was tricky, also... It's a tricky situation. Yeah, it's it, it's also maybe emblematic of just this general disarray and lack of care that it seems was kind of inherent uh, or maybe um, in, in, endemic to the department at that point. So, which uh, some... They interviewed some... Um, uh, of the detectives from that time. And they said that that was actually the case. Like there was a, an instance where detective Jenkins like opened up a, a, uh, a file room and the files were just spread all over the place. Oh my just God. Just thrown everywhere. And, uh, there was, yeah, another detective they interviewed who said, yeah, that sounds about right. <gasps> that was, that was kind of how things went at that point. Oh my God. Eh, one hopes things are better now. Well, yeah. Pre- presumably. I guess that's the thing. You, like, learn. Right. Hopefully. So, in terms of the DNA testing, there was re-kind of invigorated hope in 2009 that um, the DNA that was extant, so there was a, a, a some uh, semen that was um, preserved well enough from the sixth victim, Diane Williams, to be tested. Um, which I guess uh, Detective Jenkins didn't have access to in the 80s. So they sent that sample to the FBI first, but it just sat there for months and months and months. Nothing happened. So the FBI then sent it back to the Maryland chief medical examiner, and it's just not at all clear what happened to it after that. What? Yeah. That could have been it, like right there. I know. There was a, an anonymous source at the Emmy's office that told um, uh, this website called Ivan Reports that trying to find the info on the DNA sample, quote, would lead you to a dead end, close quote. So doesn't seem like that's ever going to happen. That's messed up. Yeah. And, and that was in like 2013 or something. So there were years between when it was first given to them to that point, And there have been many years from that point to now. And I didn't find anything else out, out about it. So presumably it's been lost or whatever. No one really knows. But um, certainly the, the lack of resolution in this case, you know, for all these 
you know, five decades going on now has led to a lot of bad outcomes, you know, despair, disarray for the lives of the families of the victims. You know, they, they have not forgotten and this has not stopped impacting them. And, you know, naturally, as people tend to do in these instances, some of them blame themselves, you know, yeah. like the, the sister, like we were talking about earlier, who sent um, one of the victims to 7-Eleven to go get stuff, even though they weren't supposed to leave the house or whatever. Clearly, it's irrational. Like, they're not to blame. None of these people is to blame except course, for the yeah. killer. But um, it it is a very human thing. Like, I think we, we see that when almost whenever someone dies if it's not from like old age or natural causes what some other person is is there you know kind of blaming themselves and it's very it's very tragic but it's it's very human and i think speaks to this sense in all of us that there must be some reason right there there has to be some even if it's me even if it's that i was wrong and 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 i was to blame somehow that's more comforting than just it, it it happened and there's no reason and yeah. you know I, th- I think maybe that's part that's of where that's that's a lot harder from. to swallow right exactly and um, Detective Jenkins you know is understandably as well fearful that once she's gone once these family members are gone that these crimes will be forgotten you know that this is not a well known you know this is not the Zodiac Killer this is not Son of Sam you know, but this is just as horrific, yeah. just as historic. Six children. Six children dying in a, about a year and a half. The first serial killer in Washington, D.C. The note, the calls. I mean, th- this case is disturbing, intriguing, as any of these cases are. But it does not get the same play, right? So... You know, our our little piece of the internet, we're talking about it. That's not much, right? Yeah. But um, hopefully, you know, and and that's part of uh, the, the one main article that I got my information from, the, from the Washington Post uh, by Cheryl W. Thompson. That was kind of part of her point, too, that the part of the story here is that it's not more of a story, right? Yeah. And yeah. that it should be. Yes. And that now that we kind of realize that these kind of things happened where because of who the victims were the cases got underplayed now we we can go back and we can um give them the the proper amount of respect and and due and and care that they should have gotten initially yeah this this sparks kind of anger in me and it, it, it really hits home because, like, the these victims look like you. Exactly. You know, or your sister. Like, these are people that any of us could have known. You know, these were just kids trying to live their lives and didn't, you know, deserve to have this done to them. And their families didn't deserve this to be, you know, done to them either. Um, and it, it had a huge impact on that community. You know, they talked about how even young men and, and especially young women, when this was happening, their families stopped letting them go outside, stopped yeah. letting them, you know, have these kind of independent lives. You know, this was the beginning of that sense that we all have now that you don't let your kids walk somewhere by themselves, that 
you, it wasn't like that in DC before this. This person took the innocence of an entire community. Similarly, this reminds me of um, Atlanta Monster. Yeah. And the Atlanta child murders. Right. And how messed up those were. And yes. that was like 30 some victims. And um, I listened to the Atlanta Monster podcast. It was amazing. Yeah, I listened to some of it, but it it is it is it's similar. It's crazy. It is definitely similar. It's definitely similar in the um, black victims, children, no certainty. Um, although Wayne Williams was convicted and he's in jail for the rest of his life, he was technically convicted for for like killing two adult men, right? And the other twenty some children who were killed. There's no explanation for them, right? Which too often happens where the police will convict someone of a different crime sort of with the understanding that the person probably did this more serious crime or different crime, but they, they just can't get to that threshold of beyond a reasonable doubt. This was also around the same time. Well, it was like late, late seventies, early eighties. Like I think he was convicted in like 1981. I was going to say, I thought that that the one was in like the early eighties. Yeah. So about 10 years later or so. Yeah. Yeah, so around the same time. But, you know, I mean, this is, like, prime serial killer. Well, this is, like, the beginning of it. You know, but the the 70s were, like, serial killer central, right? Like, many, many of the very famous serial killers, you know, were during that time. That's so, so weird. Yep. Okay, so the rest of my sources, like I said, Cheryl W. Thompson at the Washington Post, uh, Ivan V. Natividad um, at... He just has an independent website called Ivan Reports, uh, Teddy Kahn at the Washington Examiner, and uh, Rend Smith at Washington City Paper. Yay. Yeah, so, you know, kind of a depressing case, but, um, you know... Important. In, in, important, for sure. You know, and, and part of the point is, you know, to, to talk about it, right? To yes. get these things out there. Okay, ready for some weird, weird shit in the news? Weird shit in the news. Weird shit in the news. Weird. Are we? Are you gonna put in uh, a little intro there? That'd no. Be funny. No, just just what we did there. It's fine. Weird shit in the news. So I'll go forced forced on this one. Yes, go. Okay. So I got a good one. I'm excited. Yeah. You'll like it. Yeah. Okay. So mine. It's from a HuffPost article, and the headline. Um, oh, and this is also filed under weird news so you know it's weird news because they said it on the website officially officially weird um the headline is military report ufos may have attempted rendezvous with giant undersea object dun 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 so um there's a video and and you you may have seen videos like this where it's like from a military plane and they're showing you know some just strange kind of silhouetted object and you don't know what the hell it is. So this happened in 2004 and it involves what they call the Tic Tac UFO because it looks kind of like a Tic Tac. And it's an object that was moving extremely quickly through the sky in a way that they like could not understand how it was doing this. And apparently it went very rapidly from approximately 60,000 feet down to approximately 50 feet in a matter of seconds. Like in the air? Like in the so air. So at one point it was almost on the ground? Right. Well, 
over the water because this is over the water, pa- water. Got over it, the got Pacific it, got Ocean. It. So when it descended down to fifty feet above the ocean, they then saw what appeared to be about a football field size disturbance rising up from the ocean. Right. What? So it seems like there was another very large object under the water. Ah! And then there was this big object over the water. It seemed like they were kind of meeting up. A little bit of a... Checkpoint. Tete-a-tete uh, UFO. And they... Uh, so the many weird things about this, right? But one of the weirdest is that there was a submarine in the area that was doing all their sophisticated whatchamacallits to see what was there. Doing submarine things. Doing the submarine thingies. As you do. Right. They didn't see anything. Didn't show up on radar. Didn't show up on sonar. Didn't show up on nothing. They usually don't. Looked like there was nothing there, except they could see there's something there. Now, they never actually saw the object in the water, but they saw the, the... shape of it you know they saw the disturbance that it was making and um when the tic-tac ufo then flew off the water was clear and there was no disturbance they didn't see anything why didn't they chase it Uh, i'm just kidding who knows i thought it was going pretty fast so yeah it was going very fast so um you know one uh, former military intelligence official said quote my personal belief is that there is very compelling evidence that we may not be alone. I think it's, there's no question about it. I mean. UFOs and aliens is one of those things that I hardcore believe in. It freaks me out. We'll get into that someday, I think. Right. I mean, life on other worlds is an almost certainty. It's just a, it would be as almost a statistical impossibility for there not to be other life somewhere in the universe, Right. It's, it's almost stupid to think that there wouldn't be. Um, but um, this is further evidence, like you're saying, that, that maybe they actually have visited the Earth back in 2004. Who knows? So many. Maybe, maybe they were There's really... There's so many uh, different cases. You know, maybe, maybe they were really into Jason Mraz. You know, and they just what? wanted to come... Uh, who was popular in 2004? Oh, I don't know. Uh, maybe they were really into Britney Spears. They just wanted to see a concert. You know, come down to Earth. <laughs> she went Two, that far. 2004. She went so, interstellar. Right, exactly. Uh, d- doesn't she do like a um, like a space slave kind of thing? I don't remember. I think so. I th- they're probably into that. The aliens. They're freaks. <laughs> Those aliens are so weird. Oh my gosh. Okay, so for my weird shit in the news... Yeah. Um, it's about uh, Snoop Dogg. Um, I don't know if you... I was scared that you were gonna... You heard about this. But um, Snoop Dogg talks about rapping... Or he raps gin and, uh, gin and juice. He talks about gin and juice all the time in his raps. And so... Um, at a Bottle Rock Napa Valley Music Festival on May 26th, he broke the Guinness World Record for the largest paradise cocktail. The largest <laughs> gin Wait, and juice. It's pretty great. Wow. So he, um, it contained 180 bottles of gin, 154 bottles of apricot, apricot brandy, and 38 jugs of orange juice. Wow. Then he topped it off 
with a massive drinking straw, a pink parasol, and a garnish of pineapple and melon on a sword. It weighed in at more than 132 gallons. And according to Guinness, officially cementing Snoop's place in gin and juice history. You finally did something to make your name in history, Snoop. Yep. And that's from a Time article by Megan McCluskey. Well, that's, uh, that's pretty funny. Oh, yeah, that HuffPost article is by Ed Mazzo. Okay, so I was going to do a good shit in the news as well. Um, so yay! This is, yay! Oh, I saw this! I know, right? So you, you, <clears throat> you, you may have seen, there have been a few stories out there about this guy. So the headline is, and this is from a BBC article, South African world's oldest man wants to stop smoking. And I, I like to think that the sub-headline should be, it's never too late. <laughs> That's not there, but, but I feel like it should be. Um, so, Mr. Freddie Blom uh, may be the oldest person alive right now. The Guinness Book of World Records, speaking of them, um, is still determining that. But he has an actual, um, what is it, a birth certificate from South Africa. He's, he's from South Africa that verifies that he was born on May 8th, 1904. What? Yeah. So he is 114 years old. He does not look 114. He looks good. Like, he looks like he's, like, 80. Like, Black don't crack. It's insane. Like, people did not believe that he was 114. They were like, uh-uh, you're not you, you No possible way. His birth certificate says he's 114. And apparently that's good enough for most people. So he is in perfect health. Even though he smokes every day, and um, the only thing that's wrong with him, his legs have started to go a little bit, but um, otherwise he's like exactly the same as he was 30 years ago when he stopped working. Um, he worked on a farm for pretty much his whole life from the time he was a teenager until he retired in his 80s. Uh, he apparently didn't really know much about the outside world or anything. He's uh, illiterate. Um, just focused on, you know, doing his work and uh, smoking his uh, cigarettes. Um, he said he, he doesn't watch TV. He just kind of sits on his porch and uh, rolls rolls him up some cigarettes. And he says he, he wants to stop. He's tried to stop. But it's just the, 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 the urge is too strong. It seems like he's also made it a, a habit now. Yeah. I, that's not, I mean, well, obviously, but like. Um, sitting on your porch and rolling cigarettes is what he does. Right. So it's harder to quit when it's just seems to be one of the main things that you do. Exactly. In in general. Right. The other main thing that he does is to uh, host local people, uh, regional politicians who come and uh, just wish him well. Just want to talk to the 114 year old man and he says he he really appreciates that you know he he appreciates that people care um but uh yeah just a, a cool story you know it seemed like a really really interesting guy um oh yeah I, I was saying earlier he was just like very unaware of the outside world apparently he says like apartheid government not apartheid government he really didn't know the difference like, he, he and, like, the other laborers, huh. they were kept in, like, such a sort of information, you know, poor environment that they were just like, yeah, we just, we just do our work and we go home and, like, who's the government? I don't know. 
Like, it doesn't really matter to me. So I thought that was pretty interesting. But, uh, yeah. That's, uh, Mr. Freddie Bloom. That's a good one. I yeah. like him. I know. He seems cool. <laughs> I want to hang out with him. <laughs> okay. Alrighty then. I think we're done. Yeah. Yes. Um, thanks for listening, y'all. Yes. Thank you for listening. Tell your friends. Yeah. Tell, Spread the word. Tell them all. Mystery murdery thingy. Um, if you would like to visit our Patreon, I'll try to put up some more stuff on there. It's been a little while. So. Yeah, we've got some exclusive stuff up there. So give us money. Um, that would be great. <laughs> we, we like money. Um, your money, sure, could be great for us. And obviously, you know, it's optional. Completely optional. Pod's always going to be free, but, you know, we'd appreciate a little bit of, uh, a little bit of that something, something. A little bit of something. You know, for our, uh, for our troubles here, you know. Yeah, we're, uh, in Mario's house right now. We are currently in the, the podcasting, uh, office. Yes. So yes. to speak. Yes, yes. Yes. It yes, is, yes, uh, yes. it is, a, it is a little bit warm. Um, because we, we turned off the fan so that it wouldn't disturb you. So if you appreciate that, you know. Why don't you uh, email us some questions if you want, comments. Mystery murder we think Tell us how great know. we are. Tell us how horrible we are. R- rate on iTunes. Yeah. Um, say whatever you want there. You Follow know. us on Instagram, mystery murder thingy. Instagram. Um, all the bullshits. Uh, yeah. Anything else? No. Okay. Good job by you. <sighs> Okay. When are you going to stop? <laughs> I, I realized I didn't do it the last couple. <laughs> okay, bye. Bye.